Well, for those of you who are joining us for the first time today, welcome, or if you've missed the sermons recently, I uh, just want to let you know what we're looking at this term at St. Mark's is the very first section of the Bible, which is Genesis chapter chapters 1 to 12. And as we've thought about, this section is really like the prologue to the whole Bible. Now, I'd encourage you that if you find that you have a bit more time on your hands at the moment that you, than you normally do, and if you're interested in these topics like the story of creation, the story of Adam and Eve, or of Noah and the Ark, maybe go to our website, have a look at the podcast and catch up on what we've been talking about so far. So, as I said, the section we're looking at, though, in the Bible now, it's really a prologue to the main story of the Bible. And I believe that the Bible as a whole is really a story about the relationship between God and human beings. So it's a relationship where God is calling people always to return to him in love, to be changed and transformed, and where God provides the means for that to happen for us. And so that's the story that really starts with the story of Abraham, which we're going to look at next week, and goes all the way through to Jesus and beyond into our own time today. But this story of God and the story of his relationship with human beings, it is based in the story of creation, in the story of the world in which we live, and the history of the world back to the very beginning of our universe and the purpose for which that actually exists. And so these stories that we've been looking at so far, they're really about what is the world we live in actually like and how might it have come to be that way? And so we see as we go through, they're based on uh, a mixture of ancient stories, of poetry, of legends and reflections on spiritual experience that uh, was brought together to help God's people look around them at the world that they could see and know how they were supposed to live in that world now. And that's why we've called this sermon series The Making of Our World because it puts down for us a worldview of how do we think about our lives in the world today. And I want to think just a bit for a minute about this idea of our worldview and what is it. Basically, whenever we wake up in the morning, I think we find we wake up with a sort of story in the back of our minds, which is about who am I? You know, where am I? What's going on? What are the challenges and the opportunities in my life at the moment? And that's really our worldview and how we understand that story. Now, many of us have woken up, as I have, each day in the past few weeks and with a worldview that's quite changed to what it was before then, you know. Uh, the pandemic has radically changed the ideas for many of us of what is going on in the world um, and what our life is going to be like from now on and what story we are in. And so this is always, though, the challenge that we have. You know, how do we understand the world that we live in and our place in it, whatever's happening? And so the Bible tells us, as we've seen, that when we look around at the world around us, what we see, where we are, is a place that exists with a purpose. It's a place that was made to be where the presence of God can live, a place of harmony, a place of beauty, a place of love and relationships. But we also see it's a place that's been distorted in many ways. So it's a, distorted by our failure, by sin, by tragedy. Uh, and it's a place that needs help. It's a place that needs to be saved. And as human beings who are made in the image of God, we learn that we have a pivotal role to play in the development of this world through our spiritual nature, the power that we have to affect the world around us, which God has given us. And we've seen we can use this power for good or we can use the power for evil and we can use this power as God intends us to or as he doesn't. 
And so this next story in our series then, which I've just read, the story of the Tower of Babel, I think it's about this potential that human beings have, this potential of creation and how we can use it. So as we read about, it is a simple story. It's about the gathering together of a great civilization, a great city, and they build a tower at the centre of this city. And for these people, this tower is an expression of their ambition as a society, as of their creativity, and everyone in this tribe of people is united in this goal. But we also hear that God views this tower as an unhelpful project. And so in his wisdom, he comes down and confuses the language of the people and causes them then to scatter all over the world and give up building this city. So it's a simple story, but why is it in here in the Bible and what does it mean for us? I think, well, that this story is really a reflection on the potential that we have as humans to build culture, to build civilizations, and how that can actually be something either negative or positive for us, depending on the spirit in which we do it. So this particular story probably originated in the times when the first great cities were being built ever in the Middle East, when people were looking around and wondering about the significance of this new way of living, which was so much grander, so much more complex than anything that had ever been done before. And it made them ask, what does it mean for us as people who are living in God's world if we can build these mighty monuments, these great civilizations? What are the limits, perhaps, to our capacities and our achievements? What can we do together? And obviously this is still a question for us today, I believe, as we live in a world of very tall towers, don't we, of great technological achievements and things that we can do now. And what is the significance of our ability to do those kinds of things? And so I think that the story of the Tower of Babel is meant to be both a warning for us and also an encouragement to us as human beings with our potential to do these things. Firstly, I think it's a warning for us that our own plans, our own vision of our achievements and what they mean can be too narrow when it's concerned in the great plan that God has for the world. On the other hand, though, it's an encouragement for us that God does have a bigger, wider and deeper plan for us as human beings than even the grandest dreams that we can come up with on our own. So we did see the people of Babel had a big dream. They would create a united, strong city on the plain. There was a magnificent tower in the centre of it that would reach up to the heavens. And this would make them famous, it would make them respected, it would make them secure. And I think this is basically like the dream of every single empire in the history of the world. We're going to build a big city, lots of cities, a large army. We're going to be the wealthiest people around. We're going to have influence in the world. We're going to have respect. And at the top of that dream, usually, we find a few immensely powerful people who are like gods to the people beneath them. And that's the big human dream. It's a common dream. And the people of Babel looked like they wanted to be able to achieve it. But there is actually a joke in this story, I think, because we read that this tower that was supposed to reach all the way up to the heavens, it's not actually that big at all. So in verse 5 it says, The Lord came down to have a look. So you can imagine someone peering down, stooping over to peer down at something like a small group of ants doing something on the ground and saying, what are, these, what are they doing? So we hear this grand tower is not really that big. And we learn then that God actually has bigger plans for people than this. There's a world, a whole world out there for them to go out into, to learn about, to grow into. This is not the only thing there is. 
So with a word from God, they are confused and scattered over the world and the tower is never built. And this is the story of human empires too. We can see this in history. We can see it happening, I think, in our own very day. So the big buildings that we have, the wealth, the armies, you know, they don't last forever. And people are often scattered, things fall over, and the history of the world goes on differently after it. And I think we see through this that we all need to understand that God has bigger plans than we do, longer-term plans, more interesting plans. And those plans don't usually involve big towers being built or large cities, and they don't often appear to be ambitious plans at all, at the start at least. So next week as we end this series, we're going to be looking at the story of God's grand plan for the salvation of the world. But this plan we see begins with an old man named Abraham and his family wandering around in the desert, living in tents, herding sheep and goats, looking for the promised land and trusting in God's plan for them. So it's not a big grand vision, is it? It's not a big impressive building project. But this vision is something that will go on for far longer than the history of the people of Babel or any other empire in history. And so that is the story of the Bible and God's big plan. It's mostly, as we read it, the story of simple, ordinary people with ordinary lives doing ordinary things, but they are part of God's plan for creation. And so the story of the Tower of Babel reminds us of that. And it also has an echo in the New Testament when we read about the day of Pentecost, and we can read about that story in Acts chapter 2. For those of you who don't know, this passage describes what happened in the very first community of the church, the followers of Jesus, only a few weeks after he had risen from the dead and given them their mission to the world. And they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and give them power and the presence of God in their community and in their hearts. So we read in chapter 2 of Acts in verses 1 to 12, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? This is how each of us hears them in their own native language. Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Crete, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Well, you know, I think it means that really at this time, at Pentecost, we see something new starting, something that is the true thing and the real thing that Babel was never able to be and never could be. Through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit of God coming to us, human beings are now actually able to come back together in the kind of unity that the people of Babel wanted and the kind of common and grand vision that they wanted to have. It doesn't matter, though, now that we don't all speak the same language or that we're scattered all over the whole world in different nations. All of us are actually part of the plan of God to live with the human race and to build creation with us. 
And what we are building with him is not a big tower, it's not a great city or an empire. What it is, is a world, a community where people live in love with each other and the knowledge of God and grow in that together. I know that most of us are thinking about the coronavirus today and what this means for us. And I think that one thing that it might mean, and which we might realise more in the near future, is that our civilization, the civilization we've been building in the modern era, you know, our tower, it's not as strong or as big as we thought it was going to be. Things are going to change and we might be scattered and isolated further apart than we ever thought we would be in the era of instant communication and cheap international air travel. And I think that's what the Tower of Babel might be saying to us today. But what it doesn't mean, this event, is that God's real plan for the world is blocked in any way at all, not even by the current situation, however serious it seems. So I hope that you know that wherever you are this morning, however many of you are gathered together, all of us are actually united and gathered together in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, and we can still be part of what God's doing in creation. We can do our part in the small, ordinary lives that we have and the lives of those around us, even those we can only reach through the screen at the moment. So even if this Tower of Babel comes down around us, there is still hope. I want to close to you by reading from the New Testament again, the letter to the Hebrews chapter 11. And the writer of this letter tells the churches who are experiencing their own difficulties and struggles in their own time that they should reflect on these stories of Genesis and the people in them who had faith in God and trusted his purposes for their lives. And I think there's something we can hold on to today as well. You know, wherever we're headed today, tomorrow, and in the months and years to come, we do have a certain destination. We're going to return to God and live in his presence forever. So the writer to the Hebrews says, Now faith is confident confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded, commended for. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things showed that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would not have had the they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them and for us too. I'd like to pray as we close this time of reflection this morning. Father, we invite you now to be part of our community and please give us the hope of your plan for your creation and what you are doing through us and through communities like us around the world. Please give us peace as we enter into this time together. In Jesus' name, Amen. 